I'm going to read all of chapter 9, for this is God's word, so let us give attention to it. Here now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word from 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalashah, but they did not find them. And he passed through the land of Sha'alim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he, the servant, said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true, so now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. And Saul said to his servant, But if we go... What can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to the servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city Where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines." For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me where uh, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them to the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave to you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set the thing them before Saul. And Samuel said, See what was kept is set before you. Eat, 
because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they had come down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he laid down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called Saul on the roof, Get up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here for yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. So it's the reading of God's word, and dear friends, what do we know about God's word? All scripture? <laughs> Let's try this again. What do we know about God's word? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Indeed it is. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It is useful for all those things, and so we pray that your spirit would make those things a reality. Would you teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and instruct us? Would you stir in us a love for Christ and stir in us a wonder and a might of your glory and majesty? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, the transcendent and holy one, is a a God of little things, just as much as he is of big things. And not just as an observer, of course, God sees all things. Nothing is hidden from his sight, but his interest in the little things is active. It is, uh, he takes an interest in which he um, shapes, molds, directs, influences even the mundane and the incidental events of everyday life, all part of his purpose and his plan, his process, to carry about his grand and glorious purposes of redemption. And we see that clearly in this story here in 1 Samuel chapter 9. The people of Israel had demanded from the Lord, give us a king, and the Lord said, Indeed, I will give you a king, and here we are introduced to the king-to-be through these ordinary events, the young man Saul. Now, friends, our God is infinitely wise, and he is always wise, and yet sometimes it is more evident than others. And what we can't fail to miss What we can't fail to see, what we cannot miss, is the immaculate and impeccable wisdom of our God in selecting Saul as the first king of Israel. The people had asked for a king, demanded a king, give us a king like all the other nations. And so God chose a man that would be to their liking. He chose one of their own. He was an Israelite a man of the tribe of Benjamin, and yet he was also a king who would be favorable in the eyes of all the nations, at least on the outward appearance. He was handsome, a gorgeous, you might say. He was more handsome than any other Israelite. It says that there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, and he was tall. 
from literally head and shoulders above everybody else. He was tall, he was dark, he was handsome, he would have been a fan favorite on any reality TV dating show of ancient Israel. And yet, at the same time, he was far more like the people of Israel than they would care to admit. Because Saul was a man, his story is not one of redemption. His story is one of rejection and ultimately of destruction. Saul, even from the very beginning, God holds up the man Saul as a, as a mirror for us to look into, to examine our own hearts as a warning for us. Because in Saul, we see a man who was given great privileges, and yet he squandered them. He was a man um, who was influenced by the Spirit of God. God op- the Spirit of God operated on him, influenced him, uh, gave him gifts, and yet he was never really spiritual. He was a man who was often religious, but never truly godly. He was a man who was a leader of God's people, but failed to exhibit godly leadership. And uh, what's more, we need to be alert when we read about Saul, because we see in Saul uh, character traits and even actions that uh, we, as God's people today, sometimes attribute as evidence of godliness. You know, we know that Saul, when we, when we read to the end, we see that Saul was not a godly man, and so we see that these evidences are not sure evidences of, of a godly faith. So when we look at Saul, we have to be alert and we have to examine ourselves to see the true spiritual danger that you and I in the church, especially for us who have been raised in the church, a true danger that we face, and that is to be lulled into complacency by our position in the covenant community and fail to receive a true spiritual birth through faith in Jesus Christ, a true um, renewal, transforming renewal by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which results in a pure devotion the Lord as men and women after God's own heart. And we'll see a little bit of that today. And some of the false indicators of godliness we see right at the very beginning. That, uh, when Saul's father wakes up in the morning, the, his, some of his donkeys are lost. And Kish, Saul's father, says to his son Saul, he says, Saul, take, um, take one of the young men and go and find these donkeys. And immediately what we see is Saul is an obedient young man. He's obedient to his father. There doesn't seem to be any arguing, grumbling, or complaining. It seems to be an immediate obedience. He takes his young man and goes to look for donkeys. There's an outward obedience that Saul exhibits. And it's a persistent and a diligent and a faithful uh, obedience. He travels all over the place to find these donkeys. They're not immediately found. And we don't know, scholars don't know exactly 
uh, all these places that are mentioned here, but the best guess is it's an area, if you were to start on foot from here at Stuber Elementary and head over to 423, and you were to walk down 423 to the colony, maybe stop by the Reagan's house or go to the Grandscapes area, and from there you turn east and head to Plano and walk over to the Minnick's house, and from the Minnick's house maybe you turn north and head up to Frisco to Christ Community at uh, Preston and Maine, and then from there you head back to Stuber. That, that general area is the area that Saul and his young man uh, tend to lock, walk, which if you know where you're going and you're making a concerted hiking effort, you might be able to make that whole circuit in about a day, uh, a little, little under a day, but that's not what they were doing. They were, they were searching for donkeys. They were looking all over the place, stopping at houses, start, stopping at farms. Have you seen my father's donkeys? They were going up hills and down ravines and having to stop for food, and it's been three days, a three days journey, Samuel says later. And, but it's diligent, and, and it continues for some time until they get to this land of Zuf, um, and at that point, Saul demonstrates that he has a concern for his father. He says, we, we should go back. Um, we, haven't, we haven't found the donkeys. My father's going to stop being concerned about the donkeys. He's going to be concerned about us. He's got a concern for others. And so, obedience diligence and faithfulness in obedience and even a concern for others. Kids, this is what Saul exhibits as his outward obedience. And yet we know that Saul wasn't a godly young man, but often even those who are not godly exhibit fruits of godliness that we don't see in our own hearts? Do you, at a minimum, demonstrate that level of faithfulness in your own life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And parents, sometimes obedience, faithfulness, a concern for others, that's all that we can manage. That's all we're looking for sometimes. Yet, is that true godliness? Is there something more? There is something more. The heart matters. The why matters. Is there a love? Is this obedience that comes from a love for for Christ? Is there a humility in clinging to Christ for salvation? Or is it mere outward obedience like even Saul experienced and evidenced? And it's at this point here in Zuf where he's concerned about his father that we see a turning point in the story and we see a turning point in, in our perception of Saul. Because they're at the end of their rope and it's the servant who says to Saul, well, there's a man of God here. A man who is held in honor and all that he says comes true. Now, if this wasn't 1 Samuel chapter 9, we might not know who that man of God was, but we suspect that that's Samuel, and our suspicion turns true as we read a little bit further. But a couple couple of things are kind of surprising. First of all, it's it's the servant who is making this suggestion to Saul. Saul is the leader of this search party, this expedition, and yet the servant is the one who is saying, hey, we should go talk to the man of God. And Saul has been so diligent 
in his own strength to try to find these donkeys. And yet, when it's all said and done, he misses on the one thing to go inquire of the man of God. And it's shocking that Saul doesn't seem to know who he is. They're just referring to him as the man of God. We know that Samuel has been ministering in Israel for decades. He's been, this is now an old man. He's been serving since he was a young child. And, and we learned earlier that every word of his, not a single one, fell to the ground. That the Lord was with him. And he was the, the mouthpiece of the Lord for the people of Israel. How is it that Saul doesn't know who this man is? He doesn't seem to have heard of him. He doesn't seem to have a real desire to go seek wisdom from him. And even when he goes into the town, he doesn't recognize him. He says to his face, can you point me to the seer's house? And he says, well, I'm the seer. And so there's no relentless pursuit of wisdom or insight. In fact, he seems reluctant. He turns to his servant. He says, well, we, what would we give the man? You know, we should go back. We don't, we don't have anything to give him. Now, that's probably a social custom. They felt like they needed to give a gift. Proverbs says the gift opens the way to the giver. And perhaps some of that was going on in Saul's mind. But there's also a sense that he felt like he needed to pay for God's word. Pay for insight. And he says, we don't have anything. But yet again, here's the servant. He's, he's now the one that's got zeal. He, he starts searching through his person, his belongings, and he says, oh, here, I found a, a quarter of a shekel of silver. We could give him that. What do you think about that, Saul? And Saul relents, and he says, okay, yeah, well said. Let, let's go. We can, we can go talk to the seer. But he, even still, he doesn't seem quite convinced because they're on their way up to the city, and some young women come out, and he says, oh, well, is, is the seer here? I don't want to bother going to the city if he's not really here. Is, is the seer here? And of course, they say, yes, he's here, but you have to hurry. Go into the city. You'll, you'll find him immediately. He's on his way to the sacrifice. Don't delay. So they go in and, of course, face-to-face with Samuel. And it's at that point there is a shocking turn of the story. And it's shocking for us because... Ordinarily, we do not have insight into God's secret and hidden will. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the petition in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. There's two aspects of God's will. There is his revealed will, which he shows us in his word, how we must live and we must submit ourselves to it. Um, And then there's his hidden and secret will by which he governs all things and he brings everything to pass. And he doesn't reveal to us these secret things. We only see them kind of in the, in the rear view mirror. And yet in this particular case, the Lord revealed his secret purposes to Samuel beforehand. And he says, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. Brothers and sisters, that ought to really get our attention. I will send to you a man. It's an active sending. Because think about all the things that had to happen along the path for Saul 
and his servant to end up in the presence of Samuel. First of all, the donkeys had to wander off, and they had to really wander off so that they were hard to find. Kish had to decide, well, I'm going to send my son and this young, or young man. Pick, pick one of the young men. And there seemed to be other search parties because someone else finds the donkeys later. So Saul has to go on his way and not find the donkeys. He has to have this zeal, this desire, this faithfulness to continue searching. And then there has to come this point where he has to be exasperated and he has to give up his search. And the servant has to remember that there's a man of God. He has to identify where in the world they are in the land and happen to notice that this is probably Rama. This is probably Samuel's hometown and Samuel may be here. And oh, by the way, Samuel, he judged in a circuit. He went through three different towns and then there was a fourth town, Rama, which in this particular case, he just so happened to be at where his circuit ended. And Saul had to be convinced by his servant. The servant had to just so happen to find this piece of silver to convince his master to go. The young women had to come out. They had to be willing to talk to Saul and the young man, and they had to encourage him, hurry. They had to make haste. All these things, all these little incidental, menial, castaway things are part of God's sending Saul to Samuel. Beloved, do you think that that was a one-off in the way God operates? I tell you that it is not. That is the way God operates regularly. He, he works in and through all the insignificant details of your life and my life and the life of this country and the life of this church to bring about his glorious purposes. And notice how precise and exact God is. He says to Samuel, tomorrow about this time. He had the date circled and the time on the calendar marked out to say, Saul is coming at this point, that's when I'm sending him. Incredible precision. It was his eternal plan, and in the course of a moment, brought to fulfillment. And that is, beloved, our God. We need to stand back and marvel at all the infinite, insignificant details that are under God's sovereign plan. He, every minute thought, every interruption. You and I are frustrated by the interruptions in our plans, but God's plans are never interrupted. We are frustrated because we run out of time or we we can't get all the things done that we need to. God is not bound by time. He's not in a hurry. He's working out everything deliberately and intentionally with exactness and precision, and it's executed perfectly, 100%, without fail. And that is the way of our God, all coming about to fulfill his grand and majestic, broad purposes of redemption. And beloved, that is the sovereign care and will that he has over your life and mine. That is a God worth trusting with our care. And of course, we know that this was 
perfectly true in the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul said that in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. He, he sent him at the exact perfect time in human history, when it was exactly the time for God's people to receive or to reject him. And in the perfect fullness of time, he sent his son to the cross to be crucified publicly as a public display to the, a, the world of God's wrath poured upon sin. And in the fullness of time, he raised him from the dead, demonstrating his power over the grave and vindicating him in holiness, declaring him by power to be the son of God. And in the fullness of time, he caused him to be ascended into the heavenly realms. And beloved, just as certain as that day and hour, and the day and the hour when Saul were to show up, so he has a day and an hour set when the Lord Jesus Christ will come back again. Not in humility or in weakness, but in power and in glory to vindicate us and to redeem us and to conquer all of his and our enemies once and for all and to bring us into his heavenly realms. And beloved, we, we must rejoice in the certainty of God's sovereign purposes in the big things and in the minute details. And we have to have certainty in that because we know that if we are in Christ Jesus, he will most certainly save us. But we also have to see in, in this just um, that, this, that God's purpose is to bring us to himself are evidence of his, his perfect plan and, and wisdom. Our salvation friends, is not of us one bit, one bit. We are, apart from Christ, apart from the work of God's Spirit, we are, we are exactly like Saul. We are searching but not finding. We, we have things that we are pursuing and we're just never quite grasping them. And we, we're searching for the wrong things. We don't even know what we're looking for. He was looking for donkeys. He never found the donkeys. I don't think any of us are looking for donkeys, but we're looking for other things in our life with the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of contentment, the pursuit of peace or leisure or whatever it may be. And we're, we, that these things drive us. You know, we don't know, and we're never finding it, and, it, and it's, it's never there. But God, in his grace, by his sovereign power, he, he's working through that, the futility of that pursuit to bring about his purposes and to lead us to Christ. And, and like Saul, you know, we can be focused on our external goodness, our external obedience. Like, we're doing all the things. I'm caring for my family. I'm... I'm obedient to my father. I'm, I'm, I'm faithful. I'm diligent. And yet, none of that is meaningful apart from Christ. Those are a futile search, uh, a, a futile longing, a futile search. And for, for us who are in Christ Jesus, who know Christ as our Savior, you know what, you, you know what I'm speaking of. Because you, you didn't think of this gospel. This is a gospel that 
makes no sense to the natural man. This isn't uh, something that you pursued um, of your own strength. You didn't say, well, I'm, I just think I should go to church. There were, there were relationships. There were influences. There were situations. God interrupted your life to draw you to himself. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. Isn't that what, Saul, what God did to Saul? He drew Saul to Samuel. And that's what he does for each one of his people. If you are in Christ Jesus, it is only because God has worked in your life to draw you to Christ. It's only because of his sovereign grace to stoop down and to interrupt your plans and your search to lead you to Christ. So rejoice in that because that means God wanted to lavish his love on you. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God that you know. And you know that you wandered until you saw Christ and the beauty of the holiness of our God. And then your heart cried out at last. Last. This is the one that my heart longed for. This is what I've been searching for. But beloved, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if that doesn't mean that the Lord has not been at work in your life to lead you to Christ. Because you're here today. You're here today and God speaks through his word. God brought you here through whatever circumstances, whatever the relationships and the events that convinced you that you needed to be here today in a place where you gave up sleep on a Sunday morning to sit in this type of environment to sing and to hear the word of God spoken to you, know this, that is an act of God's spirit drawing you to the Lord Jesus Christ that you might hear the gospel, the gospel that is for every one of us, the gospel that we, apart from the work of Christ, are dead, our minds are futile, we are wasting our lives, waiting for destruction, and yet God loved us enough to send his son to, to seek after us, to be like Saul, looking for wandering donkeys, but actually finding us wandering sheep. But not just to find us, but to lay down his life for us and to bear the, the weight of God's wrath, which we deserve for us. And beloved, as surely as you hear my voice, know that the Lord is an intentional purpose, his eternal purpose before he had created anything was that you would be here today to hear the gospel of grace. Believe it, listen to it, and submit yourself to it. This is a gift of God, beloved. Not everyone hears the gospel of grace. You have that gift. Don't throw it away. But you might say, well, but how, how could this be? How, yeah, I, am, I, am, I am nothing. I am a, I am a small person, a meaningful, meaningless person in the midst of life. How could a, a sovereign and immense God take such an interest in me to draw me specifically into a place where he would speak to me and 
And I would hear his voice and he would call me to put faith in his son that I might dwell with him. You might say, how could this be? And I would say, look at what Saul says. Doesn't Saul say something similar to that? Samuel says, it's not, for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Israel is not for you and for all your house. And Saul says, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? Is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why have you spoken to me in this way? Beloved, I think we have reason to believe that Saul's humility was, again, external humility, social convention, not true godly humility. But know this, if you feel small in the face of a glorious and majestic God, that is the right response to such a thing. But that is the... That is the glory and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved. (laughs) That the sovereign God would take an interest in you and me. Little ones, children like you and me. That's, That's throughout the pages of scripture. A humble heart is a necessary place to be to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. To know our smallness, to know our 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 foolishness to know our sinfulness, to to know that we have no right to claim the gospel apart from God's grace. That's exactly it. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the healthy, but the sick. That we need to come like little children, begging for scraps of bread, clinging, saying, Father, please, me too, me too. Beloved, if you feel that smallness, it's the work of God's spirit. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This, this, he's revealed the things to, the, to those who are not, to the, to the weak, to the, to the lesser things, even, even those like you and me, beloved. Beloved, also, we say it every week when we do our offering. We can't neglect to see and be reminded that the gospel is free of charge. It's free of charge for us. Saul had this mindset like he had to, he had to have something to give to Samuel. Like, if, I, if I'm going to come before him, I've got to offer something, uh, some kind of gift in order to get this advice. Beloved, the gospel is all of our God. There's nothing in our hands that we bring. It's simply to... Thy cross I cling. Jesus was the one who paid the price. We pay nothing. We pay nothing. We receive everything. It's all grace. Jesus was the one that offered the sacrifice for us. We simply receive it. That doesn't mean that it's not costly for us. It does. It costs us our entire life. Because a true reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms us so that we willingly give everything, but not as a payment, but in thankful worship for the one who gave himself for us. We give ourselves to him. Beloved, this is, this is the gospel of, of the true king of kings, not this imposter king, this first king, Saul, this human king who... He's confused and is thinking this, this gospel of Jesus Christ is the one who came to seek and save 
lost like you and me, and he's the one to whom our Father draws for true salvation. He's the one that sacrificed himself that we might partake of him, that we might eat and drink his grace, and we might be nourished. And, and did you notice that? What Saul, Samuel said to Saul, he said, he said, come, there is a feast that has been prepared. There's a portion that's been set aside for you. Come and eat. Know this, brothers and sisters. Your God has set aside a portion of Christ to eat, and to drink, and to rejoice forever and ever. And we get to experience it, it's just a flavor of it, just a taste each and every Lord's Day. But it's been set aside, a feast for all eternity. It's our eternal inheritance, and it's ours. It was set aside before we were even born. In the fullness of time, he has revealed it to us. This is, this is the gospel of the king who set his face to Jerusalem and said, I am going to redeem my people. And this is the, this is the king who sent his disciples to find a donkey. And they found a donkey, but that donkey was for him so that he might come in and present himself as the king of kings. As the prophet said, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is your king who came in humility, and he is coming again, not riding on a donkey, but on a white horse. His name is Just and True, and he will judge the nations, and he will redeem us for himself, and he will rescue us from every evil deed, and he will bring us into his glorious kingdom to rejoice and to feast with him forever and ever. And beloved, that is the God that has drawn you to his son today, to hear his voice, to put your faith in his gospel. He has set his son before you as the only means of salvation. He is the one who is what your heart is longing for. And he's offered to you free of charge. Hear him, beloved. Receive him. Love him. Give yourself to him. And rejoice in him and his salvation and in the fullness of joy that will be ours forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for these glimpses of grace and the gospel, even in these Old Testament stories of a man wandering looking for some donkeys. Uh, your, your, uh, your gospel, your word is glorious and wonderful, and we praise you for it. Help us to receive Christ and to walk in him and to be astounded by who you are as our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.